Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the call up. We have a mock draft to get out here in two parts. We're, we're proactively making this a two parter. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And we always say we're talking about the future stars of Major League Baseball. And uh, that's what the draft is all about here. Normally, we're talking about already signed prospects. We've teased a little bit of the draft. We did an episode with Pete Flaherty of Baseball America. But Jack, you and I have not linked on the draft yet. I know that you've been doing your your basically whenever you have free time crash coursing all of the draft prospects that we can also watching the college world series will help with a lot of the names that we were that we're going to talk about here in the front end we had a paul skeens conversation a Rhett louder conversation it all kind of ties in here but jack i'm pumped to go through picks one through 14 and oh by the way happy fourth of july to you and everybody out there who's probably enjoying it not listening to this right now and listening to it on july 5th if so, I hope you enjoyed your fourth. I'm gonna do like I'm gonna do the classic, you know, stupid negative thing. But I've worked on the Fourth of July for the last what five six years, so like, yeah, it's just a day like for me. But yeah, the haters that thought they were actually gonna cancel the Nathan's hot dog eating contest are lying in piss right now. Joey Chestnut has to eat those dogs, man. Happy Fourth. They didn't cancel it because of the rain. Nope they uh, oh. they canceled it, but then. It turned into just a delay, so they're they're kicking off in uh, about ten minutes here. We're recording at two. Oh, well, I'm so mad! I'm gonna miss just feeling nauseous from just watching that, especially after my my uh, food poisoning situation uh, very recently. But we're gonna jump into it, and again, we broke it into two parts. So part two will be coming out pretty much right on the heels of this, by the day after. So probably coming out on the fifth. And if you didn't listen on the fourth, then it's perfect. You'll be able to knock both of these out. Uh, and, and some other really exciting interviews and, and episodes coming out very soon. Before we jump into it, if you're watching on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe to be able to keep up with some of the prospect interviews that we have co- coming up, some of our coverage out there at the Futures Game and All-Star Week, and then, of course, just the Top 100 update. So many things coming out very soon. If you're listening on audio, please be sure to also subscribe and leave a rating and help us grow the show. We're going to jump right into it, and we're, uh, for, if you're on YouTube, you can follow along with the mock draft that hasn't been published yet, but I'm able to kind of preview it so it looks like it's been published on JustBaseball.com. The actual full mock draft will be published right after we finish the second episode, so that should be out about the 5th or 6th as well. Let's dive into it. Pick number one, Jack. No suspense here, and there should not be suspense here. Pittsburgh Pirates take Dylan Cruz for the full slot value of $9.721 million. Outfielder, LSU, let's not overthink this, man. Let's just not overthink it. There's some conversation because you play the slot money game, and that's why we love the MLB draft, because it it is way more layered than the others. Uh, In the NBA and the NFL, the drafts that get the most pub, like you just take the best player available for the most part, and, and you don't think about the money. With the with the bonus pool in slot values, like you get to think about the money. 
unfortunately, you have to think about the money. So I think a lot of the conversation about, hey, is it not going to be Dylan Cruz is stemming around him needing to command full slot. He's a Boris guy. He's going to get full slot. And you know what? He deserves deserves full slot. Exactly. You know, I was just trying to think about the two guys at the top of this mock. And I I think it's been established, and and Pete Flaherty did a great job establishing it on the call-up and the Just Baseball show. Skeens is the best pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg in the the draft. My thing is, I was trying to go back and look for the best hitting prospect. It's got to be Adley. You think think Adley was more well-regarded than Cruz? You know, it's a little apples to oranges. I know it's hitters, pitchers. We try to, like, make it black or white there. But it's it's hard when you're comparing a switch hitting catcher uh, who is as like prolific as Adley was in that final year or the final two years. But to your point, Adley didn't have the high school first round you know pedigree. Like Dylan Cruz could have been a first round pick out of out of high school. He didn't really immediately make an impact as a freshman. He was like kicking and uh, you know for the football team and also playing a little baseball. But I think by the time you got to draft day. When you looked at how camp miss Adley was like was perceived as, I do think that it's kind of that similar same boat there. So I would say yes, like they're the same caliber prospect, and that's extremely high praise. Yes, and, and I was going to say if it if it's not Adley, if you were to give Cruz the slight edge as the college hitter over Adley Rutschman, I personally think you have to go all the way back to Bryce Harper in twenty twelve. Wow. I think, wow. I mean, like. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but Correa in twenty twelve, like Cruz seems a bit more surefire than Correa yeah, was yeah, yeah. in twelve. And then I mean Dansby Swanson, like the conversation was there with Bregman and Brendan Rogers in twenty fifteen. And then you've got Moniac, Royce Lewis, Torque, uh, Henry Davis in twenty one, Jackson Holiday in twenty two. So I do think if it's not Adley Rutschman, Dylan Cruz is the most surefire number one hitter since Bryce Harper in twenty ten. Yeah. I sent you a couple pictures because I want to talk about Cruz specifically as as the floor and the ceiling. When you look at number one, you're always dreaming on the ceiling. When you say number one pick, oh, he's you know, what what does he do proficiently? And you know, Everything. what can I yeah. five tool perennial all-star center fielder? But what stands out the most to me is the floor as well. Even if he doesn't tap into the you know top end of all of his tools, how many times did you hear about his his 2010 vision, by the way, in the in the College World Series? That kind of got borderline annoying. Yeah. Um, but but to a point, like he ha- he has ridiculous, ridiculous plate discipline. Chase rates are so low, but also the field of hits there. And and on top of that, 108 mile per hour, 90th percentile, like just or maybe higher than that. We're just smashing baseballs. But when you pair the approach, the field of hit, and the power, the floor is so high there. I think we we heard a little bit of the, the rumblings of the Pirates underswatting because they underswatted the number one pick with Henry Davis. But Henry Davis, as you can see now, is very easily what very easily was the number one prospect in that draft. And there was nobody that was like a clear cut one. It was Henry Davis, Jack Leiter, Jackson Job, Marcella Meyer, and Waller. Colton Kowser and goes on from there. This is the clear-cut best player. It's it's just a different circumstance here. I thought the Pirates did it brilliantly that time around with Henry Davis, but this is different. You don't need to overthink it. Uh, but for me, before we move on to pick number two, I think what really stands out to me with Cruz is how high floor the offensive profile is while providing that high ceiling. Beyond that, you have a guy here that, you know, I, I think if it all clicks, you have that perennial all-star, as you mentioned. I sent you the the two pictures. I can't put them on here because it's you know, something I can't yeah. really share publicly. But the heat maps of his uh, whiff and, bo- and his contact rates, the contact rate was just red hot the whole zone. And then the whiff as one of those like contour heat maps, the only – hot part of of the heat map in the zone was above the top of the strike zone so there was nothing in the strike zone that was warm in terms of the contour on the map which just shows you that there's really no way to beat dylan cruz other than to get him to expand and he doesn't expand like what the hell are you supposed to do no peter and i were talking about him on the just baseball show and peter was like how much better can he actually get and i was like you're saying that because he's already perfect pretty much like we saw as close to a perfect baseball player in college as we've seen in years. And I think Cruz put the conversation to bed that he's the greatest player in LSU history uh, over Alex Bregman. Um, You know, like it's crazy to think LSU, one of the most storied college baseball programs 
in a, in the country just had the best hitter in their uh university's history in Dylan Cruz and the best pitcher in their university's history in Paul Skeens. And Skeens passed up Ben McDonald for the SEC record for single season strikeouts. But Cruz, do you have the the college slash line up? Like not I just want to run through it for you. Not you in front have. of me. Not in front of me. 196 games for the LSU Tigers across three years. This dude in 196 games, 43 doubles, 58 homers, 184 driven in. He was 23 for 28 in the stolen base department. He walked more than he struck out. And his career slash line in 938 plate appearances, 380, 498, 689 in the SEC. Yeah. How do you not take that guy 1-1? Sounds good to me. He will be a top 10 prospect in the game the second he is selected. Number two, Washington Nationals. You can pretty much lock this one in unless unless the you think even they were saying even if the Pirates did something nuts, the Nationals would still take Paul Skeens at number two. It just seems like such a Nationals pick. And it's so it's so poetic that, you know, with with Strasburg, with him being the best pitching prospect since Strasburg and the unfortunate uh, kind of demise of him physically uh, that, you know, he's probably never going to pitch again to, to have Skeens now kind of load right in here. We spent a lot of time on Skeens, so we don't need to go the full eight, nine minutes that we just went on Dylan Cruz on Paul Skeens. We talked about him a ton, and you can go check out that Louder Skeens episode. Um, but, I mean, this guy, it's pretty simple. 100-mile-an-hour fastball at average 98.5, but got higher and higher as the year went on. The slider is a big league plus pitch right now. And personally, the changeup really impressed me. Uh, down the stretch here, he, he showed that changeup more in the postseason, and it looked really good. Um it's, it's that simple. I, the, the, the fastball shape could be a bit better. I think he'll tweak it. I think he'll get there. Even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's 98, 99. So maybe it plays like a 60 pitch instead of a 70 pitch, but it's yeah. a low effort. He it, it repeats his mechanics so well. He was a two-way player, and you can see that on the mound. He's a great athlete, and he's a bulldog. I, it's an overused word, but he's a bulldog, and, and, and it's just that simple. Uh, this guy's going to climb quick as hell, and the Nationals – I mean, this is just going to help them in their reload here. I love, I love what they're starting to do here in the system with with their bats, and now they they get their best arm. Another guy that'll be a top fifteen prospect in the game. Yeah, man. I if you're going to deploy the word bulldog, this is the right guy to do it because he was a lock to give you 120 pitches and in eight innings when you got into the regionals for for Jay Johnson. So, like this guy is <laughs> revolutionary. I mean, like yeah. his his arm's incredible and. You know, like I saw him go on ESPN and say, like, yeah, I see hitting in my future. Like, I want to I want to try both. Like, he's not going to try both. The Nets no, are not, not. going to have him do both. Um, Skeens is so young into his pitching life um, that I don't know. I almost view it as like a good thing. I almost view it as the as the DeGrom type thing. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he just started throwing in earnest before he was doing both. And he was working out like he was doing both. Now he he. As crazy as it sounds with what we saw at LSU this year, there may be some untapped potential in the pitchability department. Yeah, and the thing is, is he's already got some pretty good pitchability. I think that the number one thing is the changeup. And then I think, you know, he could just kind of miss middle-middle with the fastball. Not that he did it a ton. He, he hit his spots pretty well. But, you know, with the, with the shape not being as elite, Double A, triple A guys, and especially big league guys, they'll get to 98, 99 if you leave it over the middle. So there'll be some some need to locate a bit better and or, you know, get a little bit more shape, better shape on that pitch. But, I mean, we're, we're splitting hairs to make basically make him one of the best pitchers in baseball because that's what he'll be. If if the changeup field continues to kind of head in the direction that we think it is and, and, the, fastball, and the overall command just continues to get better. Uh, yeah. But special talent and, and the Nationals – it's just a perfect, perfect guy for them to get here. No, I mean, Nat's dreaming on a, a future three and like by future, I mean, very near future, like back half of next year of Josiah Gray, the all-star Mackenzie Gore and Paul Skeens that that gets me to the ballpark. If I live in DC. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I I'm with you. And I think there's a lot of reason to be excited out there. Brady house has been playing out of his mind. Uh, you got a lot of other pieces coming Jake up. James Bennett looks awesome. great. Jake Bennett, look, you love Jake Bennett. I knew you love, love Jake, Jake Bennett. Bennett. I texted you from the backfields that you'd love Jake Bennett. Um, it just fits your mold. Uh, number three, 
no brainer here. I think the first four picks are like, I'd be floored if they don't go this way, but you never know with these drafts. Yeah. Number three, Wyatt Langford, Detroit Tigers. They take the Florida outfielder who I kind of mentioned this in the write up here. He's as close. He, he, I think he is so much closer to Dylan Cruz than anybody thought would be possible of any prospect mm-hmm. offensively. I, I really, it's still a no-brainer for me to, to take Cruz based on just all of the things we talked about. But Lankford has just really proven both statistically and just tools-wise to be as close as humanly possible to the near-perfect Dylan Cruz. Lankford hits the crap out of the ball. He gets into his power so easily. He's so strong. That's what really stood out to me in that, in that College World Series, just looking at how physical he is. And he's pretty fluid for how physical he is. You'd think a guy that is that, that muscled up and that strong would be a little stiff. He's not. Uh, he's probably going to play left, but I think he could play a really good left. The approach is strong. And I know the numbers are right there with Dylan Cruz. They are. And I'll run you through the numbers here in a moment. But I think that's the separator between Cruz and Lankford, that Cruz is like a legit, awesome center fielder. And yeah. Lankford can be a legit, awesome left fielder. I'll take yeah. the center fielder over the left fielder. This feels very Scoot Henderson-y when Scoot is like the best draft prospect you know, for, for years in recent memory, but then he's got to deal with Wembanyama too. Like that's what Cruz is. Cruz is just better than the best guy in recent yeah. years. Yeah. Lankford is so ridiculously good, man. 134 games at Florida in 134 games, 37 doubles, 47 homers, 120 driven in. He's walked more than he struck out. And this guy's slash line in three years in 134 games, 363, 471, 746. These guys have insane success in the SEC. The Tigers are not going to overthink this one. Scott Harris is going to add best available, and it's going to be Langford. And another guy that can climb quickly, and especially through the SEC ringer, the amount of talent that was in that league to do what they did is, is remarkable. And he's going to immediately line up with Jace Young and Isaac Pacheco, and they'll get up, I think, at very similar times. I'd say top 25, 30 prospects the second he's drafted. I'm excited to, to kind of add these guys in. I think I'm going to add them into the midseason update. I haven't yeah. fully decided yet. You and I will have to talk about that, but I, I figure why not? It's only a few guys. He's got and like 30 spots to fill. Might as well wait. I know. Draft. All these dudes are graduating. Um, yeah, Langford, no-brainer pick here. For the Rangers, I think this is as no-brainer as it gets, too. You go Walker Jenkins in the outfit, and I promise we'll, we'll, we'll stray from, from the consensus, pretty much starting with the next pick. Yeah, uh, but the very next one. Texas Rangers, they have made no secret of how much they love Walker Jenkins. I've made no secret of how much I love Walker Jenkins. His swing, just, just purely from a swing standpoint, reminds me of Kyle Manzardo, but he has more power, at least at this stage, but I think has more power. Yeah, He's – posting plus run times has a shot to stick in center. Even if he doesn't stick in center could play a really good left field. If he slows down a couple steps, he's big with room for more projection, but the swing is one of the, my favorite high school swings I've seen in a while. Um, You know, it kind of reminding me of, of Marcelo Meyer, but I, I think he might even be a little bit more advanced with the stick than Meyer was right out of the draft. And the tools across the board are are more exciting for me. I think if Jenkins and Meyer were in the same draft, I'd take Jenkins. Uh, And that just kind of shows you where I'm at on him. Of course, Meyer went 4-2 and and, and was expected to potentially go even higher than that. I'm a big fan of Jenkins. And also very ironic that a lot of Rangers fans are still upset that the team passed on Meyer. Well, here you go. I I think there's a lot of drafts where there's no shot a Walker Jenkins falls to you here, but because of the top three are so college and college dominant type prospects, you can't, you can't go anywhere else other than those three in the top three. This is a blessing here for the Rangers at four. I am a huge fan of Jenkins. And I think he could be so, like, for lack of a better term, a steal at four, even though I don't blame any of the teams ahead of here, ahead of them taking the guys that they take. I think this is exactly how I'd have it go. If I would had the first four picks myself, but man, it's just a victim of circumstance. Jenkins is way too good to go for, I think. Yeah, I think uh, top four is just flat out awesome and the best in recent memory. Better swing than Tamar Johnson. That swing was like lauded yeah, out of yeah. the draft last year. I think I think Tamar Tamar probably has him beat in terms of just like 
how special the bat speed is and all that good stuff. Tremar is Jen- like a five eight second baseman. Jenkins yeah. is a big outfielder. A big outfielder. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's kind of the the, the conversation there. And, and and if Tremar had the the complementary tools that Jenkins has, he probably would have went one. Uh, that was that was the one thing that held him back. His swing alone was what got him drafted that yeah. high. So Jenkins is special, no doubt. The picket four and another guy. I'll just I'll keep adding the context until I'm unsure as to whether they'll be top 100 or not walker jenkins will be a top 75 top 60 prospects probably yeah we at the beginning of the year we mentioned that the rangers you know maybe failed to address the outfield situation and we were worried about the outfield situation but adolis garcia is an all-star leody Tavares has been awesome ezekiel duran has been awesome and evan carter has taken the step up if the Rangers were hovering around 500, maybe slightly above, but the outfield production was a problem, you know, maybe we would say, oh, do they want like a college guy to, to line up with the contention window because they're so good right now and they figured it out? We were just talking about this this morning. I'm of the thinking that teams do account for what they have in the organization. Um, I know that there are some teams that say, you know, we don't we don't necessarily think about that. Um, yeah, it's when best player available, yeah, yeah. Like I, I just disagree. I think, I think the Rangers- there's a balance, and it's circumstantial. And like, there's certain picks here where I'll just be like, "This is clearly the best player available." Yeah, I think in this instance, when you have a player like Walker Jenkins, you're just taking the best player available. I think it's a both. Yeah, it's a bit of both. And, but it would be silly to say that they completely disregard where they're at as an organization. Like, it's just that's just not going to be the case. Like, why are the Marlins so heavily coveting college bats then? You know, yeah. why are certain teams doing what they're like taking the approach that they're taking? Why are the Rockies so heavily coveting arms? Like, again, it's silly to to say that they completely disregard that. Uh, but I also don't think that they're like looking like, OK, how does this guy fit into our org? No, we can't take this guy. Like it's a balance, of course. And ultimately, if you have a best player available that you at a position that you have a bunch of guys already, a lot of teams will take that guy still. So that's the argument, but there's a balance to, to the two sides of that. For sure. And I think we're going to get it in that balance here at five. Yeah. Number five is an interesting one. And and this is kind of the first of Joe Doyle, by the way, who does a great job with, with, I think it's a future star series covering the draft. He had a tweet today that I really liked that I think is a really important contextual thing because in our mock drafts, we're always afraid to highlight the underslots and go out there and do it. But the last three drafts have had eight. Each of the last three drafts have had eight under slot signings in the first round of at least $500,000. So we got to do them somewhere in the mocks. Where do we think they're going to happen? Here's one of them. Uh, Kyle Teal, catcher, UVA goes to the Minnesota Twins. There's a lot of different directions the Twins can go here. And I think most mocks that you look at, they're going to have Max Clark going five because he's perceived as the fifth best prospect in the draft but he's a high schooler. Uh, there's some, some questions there uh, that I think could have him fall. We'll see. Um, I don't, I, Khalil Watson was expected to go top five and then ho- holy crap, that guy slid like crazy. I don't know if there's those kind of questions, but there's also just circumstantial stuff that can cause a guy to fall. Uh, and that circumstance being the top four being solidified and then maybe picks five, five and six wanting to save or wanting to, to go a different route. Kyle Teal, I, I fell in love with the more I watched the, the bat. There was some concerns around, you know, the movement in, in his swing. But then he came out this year and hit 415 with 12 pumps while striking out 12% of the time. He's so athletic, so, so athletic behind the dish. He's gotten better as a receiver throughout 33% of base stealers in his collegiate career. Uh, there's so many things that have gotten better. That They say the footwork could get a little bit better. I agree, but like that's that'll get there. I think he sticks behind the dish. I think he's a great bat. And if you can save money and take the consensus top catching prospect in the draft here at five, I I love this pick here. If the twins decide to go this route, $7 million slot here, they could probably get Teal for, for a million less. I have no idea what the exact price tag would be, but they could save a lot here and get a player who I think is very worthy of going top five or six. Yeah. So last three college guys to go fifth overall, Kowser was well under slot. Elijah Green was right at slot in 22. Kowser was well under slot in 21. Austin Martin was over slot uh, in 2020. And then in 2018, Jonathan India was about $600,000 under slot. 
So this is the spot where I think teams start to play around with the slot money. Um, and we know which two worked out and, and which one hasn't to this point. But I, I want to go through a teensy bit of an exercise here. I loved Kyle Teal watching him, you know, during the conference tournament, watching him uh, in the limited looks that I got during the regular season. And then of course in the NCAA tournament was great too. And he seems like an incredibly high floor catcher. I think the reds would be spoiled if Teal did slide to them. Uh, and I think they would jump on that opportunity, but I think this is a perfect fit for Minnesota. Here's our exercise. Who could of the guys that I name be the starting catcher for the Minnesota twins in 2025? Let's start at the big league level. Christian Vasquez, who's 33 years old now. No. <laughs> Ryan Jeffers. Yeah, that's probably the favorite right now. That's the favorite right now. Let's go to AAA. Tony Walters at 31 years old. No. Mark Colesbury, Jair Camargo, Chris Williams. Any of those guys? Nope. How about David Banuelos, Patrick Winkle, Alex Isola, or Kyle Schmidt? No? Nope. You have to go to Cassetti in high yeah. A right now. Andrew Cassetti. And I like Cassetti. Uh, a lot of people like Cassetti. I but got I some like people Teal Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Cassetti's yeah, he's a good prospect, but underrated prospect. But yeah, let's let's go Kyle Teal here. <laughs> like, let's not overthink that There's one. There's nothing going on there at the no. catching. There's no. nothing stopping him. And the it, Twins, if they want to get better, they had a catcher. And imagine now you have you go from having what you just highlighted, very little answers behind the dish in your organization to not only having one of the better catching prospects, I think, in the minors. I know it's it, it's a very loaded position right now. A lot of guys are going to graduate, but Teal would probably be a top 100 prospect catcher. And you get to save money while doing that too. So you're basically trading back, taking Teal, and trading up with your next pick. That sounds good to me. Do you like, if we were to look at this top 100 uh, at the midseason update, when you do add Teal, is Teal ahead or behind Kevin Parada? Ahead. Ahead. I like because he actually can catch. And I think the bat, like Parada, I think the bat's going to get going. But until proven otherwise, Teal, I think, could could be a better bat now, too, a more well-rounded bat. I think I think Parada was was a clear-cut good pick last year. And I think Teal is going to be a clear-cut good pick anywhere he goes. I agree. You ready for the the most wildened pick we have now? This is the mega underslot. I'm really excited. I could see this. I really could. Number six, Oakland A's take Chase Davis, outfielder from Arizona. Slot value here is 6.6 million. I think you could get Chase Davis for four. I think four. What's the slot value of pick 20, pick 18? Uh, Let's see as I open Google Docs. As you pull that up. There's here's my approach, and then I'll get into why I think Chase Davis is worthy of a top ten pick, especially with the savings. Eighteen is four million twenty one thousand, so just above four million dollars. So that that's exactly what I, I think you can get Chase Davis for four to four point two million dollars. You save more, almost three million, two and a half million dollars on Chase Davis, and the Oakland A's have picks thirty nine and forty one. So now you can scatter two and a half million dollars over picks. 39 and 41 there. And I'm going to mention this with a couple of the, the teams that I have kind of trading back with this underslot. There's a ton of prep talent in the back end of the first round. And how often do these, you know, high price tag prep guys who have no problem going to college end up sliding, sliding, sliding. And, you know, they either leave their price tag extremely high and a team's maybe willing to meet it. If they're not, they go to college, but you have two and a half million to meet the price tag of several different guys that could fall out. Let's say Blake Mitchell, who's viewed as the top high school catching prospect in this draft, doesn't have his price tag met in the first round here and slides. You could offer him a 1.5 million over slot, give him basically mid first round money here. And now you have Chase Davis and Blake Mitchell, two top 15, top 20 talents. Like that approach here, if you really like Chase Davis, is it. And there's people in the industry that think Chase Davis is a top five bat in this draft. I, I think that might be a little extreme, but if there's people in the industry that believe that, well-respected people in the industry that believe that, let's broaden it to top 10 bat in the draft. You, you Maybe Oakland is one of those people that believe that. Maybe Oakland has some, some brass that think that way. Well, now you can save two and a half mil 
and get some studs in your two other picks here. I, I think this would be an area to cook if you can get Chase Davis for four mil. We, we were texting a little bit this morning, and I told you that I was in love with Chase Davis. Again, like in just my crash course, Davis was one of those guys that jumped out. And there are other guys with, you know, like larger name recognition, like Enrique Bradfield, Tommy Troy, when you look at college bats. Chase Davis struggled in 27 games his freshman year. But he had a 997 OPS his sophomore year. He has a pretty underwhelming 15-game sample on the Cape. But then he comes back this year, hit 362, walked more than he struck out. The whiff, like the whiff was there his sophomore year. It wasn't there this year. 21 pumps. He slugged 742. Ombre had a 1231 OPS in 57 games in the Pac-12 this year. Like, yeah, he was a dominating figure when he was right this year. His content, I mean, he basically answered every question. Every single question. And that's why I think this could be a steal. You're grabbing a guy right as he's ascending to maybe peak value. Or some teams will be concerned and say not enough track record. Nick Oakland can afford to roll the dice here. Contact rate went from 67% to 80% from last year to this year. Zone contact from 78% to 85%. He cut his chase rate down by almost 10%. And that's why you see everything across the board improve. And he walked as much as he struck out. The power's plus. The swing is a replica of Carlos Gonzalez, the multi-all-star with the Rockies, which he admits to literally uh, trying to like replicate, and he does it really well. This this guy could go nuclear. There's a little bit of risk in this pick, but I think it's worth it for the savings because you know that hedges some of the risk, and you can go with you're basically trading into the first round with your two other picks. It's it's a tricky game that the Oakland A's are going to play, especially with optics where they are right now surrounding that team. If they were to underslot at six, everybody's going to say, oh, classic Oakland A's looking for for a budget slash. Chase Davis is a really good underslot option. 100%. I'm with you. Number seven, this is a pick that I want more than anything. Uh, he, I think an option for Rhett Louder to the Cincinnati Reds at seven uh, he, he could also go to the Twins at five. I think that's a, that's an option. He could go to Oakland at six. I, I think he, he. I don't think he's falling past the Reds at seven. I think Teal or Louder make all the sense in the world, as you mentioned earlier. Louder really solidified himself as I think the number two pitching prospect in in this draft by going toe to toe with the number one pitching prospect in this draft. There were some concerns about the fastball quality. I think that's a joke. Like it, it's a good enough fastball. It's mid nineties up to ninety seven. Good arm side run, picks up a above average ground ball rate, spots it, 73% strike rate on the changeup, 70% strike rate across his entire arsenal. The slider is, is a 55 pitch, but he spots it so well that it plays like a 60. Changeup is a 55 pitch, but he spots it so well it plays like a 60. The command is phenomenal. He'll climb quickly. He fits the Reds' timeline and instantly becomes, which I think is saying a lot with the, the emergence of Connor Phillips, uh, with some of the other guys that are really performing, he becomes the Reds' best pitching prospect. I, I love everything about what Rhett Lauder is is doing, and I think this is a a no brainer fit. They may save a few bucks, but I'd be willing to give him the full slot value at six point two mil for sure. Um, it's funny how history repeats itself. May 21, 1981. This is like the best college pitching matchup ever. Ron Darling at Yale, Frank Viola at St. John's. Darling, 12 innings of one hit, one run ball. He was no hit through 11. Frank Viola, 11 innings, seven hits, no runs. Each of them threw over 160 pitches. Like that is, you know, you go in the history. Oh. The 2023 version of that, obviously nobody's throwing 160, 100. Ron Darling threw 190 pitches in that game in 12 innings. No pitcher on earth is throwing 12 innings in 2023. No pitcher on earth is eclipsing 150 pitches except Braden. Uh, no, not Braden Montgomery. Uh, who was the uh, Stanford kid? Oh, Quinn Matthews. Yeah, Quinn, Quinn Matthews. Matthews. Um, but like that louder Skeens matchup was this repeating itself. It's two. And those guys both turned into excellent major league pitchers. These are two guys that we know are going to pitch for a long time at the highest level that are matching up at an instant classic in college and louder totally proved that he belonged, which was really cool. And I think you saw that competitive MF energy from Rhett louder that everyone saw from Skeens because everyone wanted to talk about it. Um, now 
I, I mean, I think you know that you have it with Louder. Hey, and just speaking to the red situation real quick, um, Abbott, Lodolo, Green, Connor Phillips, Petty. After that, like, I don't feel good about Ashcraft. Lola. It's a lot Ashcraft. of volatility. It's a lot of volatility, though. And so, this is, yeah, this so is, go, go grab a, a wonky but safe guy. This is, as they just, guys, it's just so relaxing to add a Rhett Louder with the volatility they have. Like, Lion Richardson is special with how hard he throws, but volatility central. It's all a lot of the Kyle Bodie guys are still there, which are you know, really exciting arms, but volatile. But they freak and, the and shit out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Louder's refreshing. And I think perfect for this team. Yeah. Number eight, finally, because I'm sure people are wondering, where the hell's Max Clark? The Reds ain't picking Max Clark. And that's kind of my point here. If it's if it's Max Clark or who you're probably gonna have to go over slot for, the Reds would rather just take Rhett Louder. And that's why I think Kansas City Royals, they're willing to go a little bit over slot here to snag Max Clark and make it happen. Clark is I place his high school ball less than 500 miles away. Uh, and I think it's it's a good fit. The Royals, this is just take the best player available. You could say the Royals need pitching, whatever. They need a lot of things. Yeah. They need a lot of things. And you get the best player available here. A Max Clark who the tools are immense. It's 70 run times. It's plus defense in center field. It's an elite arm in center field. It's a plus field to hit. The power may be fringy. And I do have some concerns that the the, the swing path is a little too flat to where very high ground ball rates may take him some time to, to produce, but that said pretty high floor for a high school prospect, given that you're getting an elite center fielder, potentially the bat to ball skills being that good. And he's a, just a phenomenal athlete. That's wiry, strong, good football player out there in the Midwest. And I like the fit with the Royals as, as a regional kid. Um, this seems like he can't fall past the Royals at eight. If he slides to here for sure. Yeah. And, and he's a really, uh, athletically gifted guy um he works very hard and uh i think his video team makes sure everybody knows oh, that yeah. he worked very hard yeah um so no i mean max clark is like a, a freak athlete that i don't know i i view the floor as like michael siani i've watched a lot of siani recently where siani's a really good defensive center fielder but like he's you know knocking on the the door of the big leagues because he's hitting 215 like that, I guess, is my I think that would be if everything went to shit. Yes. So like, that's what I'm saying. Very, yeah, very floor. floor. That's a yeah. floor. And, and yeah. I think that the floor is Siani. It's like a 40 man guy. Yeah. yeah a 40 and, man guy. And I think the, the other 90, there's so many outcomes of where he is just so much better than that too. That's the cool thing is if he taps into to average juice, now you have a, a potential perennial all-star. Um, if, if the power is fringy and he puts them on the ground too much, he's still an above average regular with, with dynamic ability. Um, and, and there's just a lot of different ways where he can be a consistent contributor. I'm interested to see, to see how much power he taps into. I'm interested to see, you know, how that swing kind of turns into maybe spraying the ball all over. And I think he could do that because he's so athletic and just kind of being a line drive guy. I think there's a lot of different ways where he can be a very good big leaguer. And this is a great pick here to be able to get Max Carcadet. I think the Royals would be over the moon uh, to get a guy with 70 run, 70 arm, 60 field, and at least potentially 50 power. But I think it'll be closer to 45. But that said, 60 hit potentially. A lot of really exciting tools across the board. Yeah, for sure. Number nine. It just seems like this is the most Rockies pick ever. Yeah, Rockies go. They've made no secret that they want to take an arm. They take Chase Dolander here, right-handed pitcher out of Tennessee. And this is the most talented arm available. Unless you want to go high school, which I just don't see them going high school. I see them going college arm, most talented college arm. Dolander's a special talent still. There's no doubting that. Really disappointing season. But as as we've seen become abundantly clear over the last couple of years, you take the arm, not the results. And though the results were frustrating, the arm is extremely talented. Fastball averages 96 with ridiculous life. Great shape. The secondary is all flash above average to plus. I mean, there's there's a, a, a potential world where the slider is plus and the changeup is plus. I think the slider and changeup end up being 55 grade pitches. Curveball is a fine fourth offering. But his command of the secondary stuff was just frustrating. 
His walk rate ballooned this year. He fell behind in counts, and I think it it masked the actual quality of his fastball because he had to lean on it so much. And Tolander just didn't put together a good season. Uh, that said, he's too talented to slip out of the top 10. Pete Flaherty retweeted, or it might have been him that tweeted it out. I don't think it was. I think I saw him retweet something, and I'm totally blanking on um, you know, where he got this from, so apologies for not properly attributing, um, but I'm attributing the attributor in Pete Flaherty. Um, he put out a, a split between first inning ERA for Dolander and ERA innings two through the end of his starts, and the first inning ERA was like near nine, and after that, it was sub two. I don't know what that means. You um, Darvish has long had a, a high first inning ERA, but Darvish has overcome that. Um, don't lander like if you just look at the pitch shape and pitch data for all these. I mean, he looks world class, right? He yeah, looks yeah. he looks amazing and like the clear cut number two pitcher in this class, but. This is a production game, man. And, and I understand that you want to take the pitches, but you got to look at what he did in, in his college tenure as well. And this was just, relatively speaking, not a good year for Dolan. Yeah. I think that the Rockies are going to capitalize by grabbing this guy at nine. You have that many pitches that profile well just from data. You're going to figure out two or three of them that work at zero gravity. And this is the guy that has a chance to be a frontline starter. The Rockies need high upside pitching. It just seems like the perfect fit here. It's yeah. risky. I don't. I see them being more than fine with being risky. Like that's well, what and, they do. And they'll th- and they'll throw him on the escalator. I mean, Gabriel Hughes is already in Double A. Like yeah. I can see Doe Lander getting to Double A at this point next year. Yeah, and and I think this would be the good pick for them. I I, I would be. I'd be happy with the pick if I'm a Rockies fan and just a little nervous and see how it goes, but extremely talented for sure. Number 10 Marlins, the Miami Marlins take Matt Shaw second base slash shortstop. I should put second, second base slash shortstop because he predominantly played shortstop. I think a lot of evaluators think he moves to second, but can't relegate him from, from shortstop until you relegate him from shortstop. And if, if how the Marlins have handled Jacob Barry tells you anything, maybe they'll give, Matt Shaw every shot at short, but you're drafting Shaw for the bat here. The Marlins have been tied to Tommy Troy. They've been tied to Jacob Gonzalez. They've been tied to basically any high floor college bat you can throw in here. But if they feel like Matt Shaw is on the same level as those guys, then why not take Shaw who you will definitely be able to save some money on here. And the Marlins, there's no farm system that has been more depleted over the last couple of years than the Marlins. And the Marlins have pick number 35 and they have pick number 42. So there's another instance where you need to inject as much talent as possible, I think, into this system, especially with the Marlins potentially being buyers at the deadline with whatever they have left. Try to trade into this first round by trading back, so to speak, with the savings here with Matt Shaw. At 35, they've worked out a bunch of different high school middle infielders that they like. I think that allows you to overslot at 35 to sign one of those high school, those prep middle infielders. And you end up getting Shaw, who's a really good bat, good power, good field to hit, should climb quickly, and at least can play multiple positions in the infield. And then you can go get another first-round talent in the middle infield. The Marlins need that more than they need oxygen. Yeah, my only pushback here is you guys have long been clamoring for a shortstop. <laughs> Don't you want a guy that can stick at shortstop? Maybe. And Sean might be able to. Maybe he will. If he can't, I think they'd take a high school shortstop with the next pick. So now you got two shots. So yeah. that's that's my that's my thought here. Because if you go full slot value for Jacob Gonzalez and then you aren't able to, to shoot as high with your next pick, I'd rather go under slot for Matt Shaw and go higher, higher, you know, upside with the next pick. Yeah. And, and just looking at the line numbers on, on Matt Shaw, like he's been a perfect baseball player the last two years at Maryland. And this year he, he leveled up. He was 986 OPS last year, this year, 62 games slash 341, 445, 697, 43 walks, 42 punch outs, 18 for 19 in the stolen base department. 24 homers in 62 games like it's perfect there's there's nothing to like, you're grabbing a guy that is 
like Marlins fans can get excited when yeah. looking at his baseball reference page. Oh, and that's what you want, man. I think he's he would instantly you're underslotting. This puts in perspective. You're going to underslot a guy who instantly becomes your best hitting prospect. Um, yeah. And then the guy that they overslot maybe with the next pick could easily be their second best hitting prospect. So that's that's big reason why I want to see them do that. Contact rate of 84% is elite. Yeah. And, you know, I think good in that in the ACC was 78% last year. So 84% is elite aggressive ish. So I'm interested to see how that translates, but I think it's just because he literally hit everything powered all fields, 90th percentile of 107. Like this guy is so much better than what they took last year and, and cheaper. So I, I think this is the, this is the pick for the Marlins here. And, I, I have a weird feeling that, they, that this is where they might go, but they could also go Jacob Gonzalez. Can I, I say the numbers are, are eerily similar to another Maryland Terrapin, actually with better power output? Uh, Brandon Lau is another guy Ooh. that was a Maryland Terrapin. Yeah. And I mean, these these lines are almost identical except for the homer totals. And Matt Shaw blows Brandon Lau's numbers out of the water. So yeah. I, I think if, hell man, if they got Brandon Lau, you're super happy. Yes. Oh, yeah, you are. I, 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 like, especially the early Brandon Lau. Yeah. <laughs> Number 11. So this was a tough one because the Los Angeles Angels have so frequently gone with the last few years have gone with the fast climber who can help me win right now. And I'm curious what you think about this, because. Again, this is like where every every team says best player available. Clearly that the Angels were going player who can get to us the quickest. And I don't know if they need to do that this year. I think that they're in a spot now where you should take the best player available. And so many of their, they, they just traded Coleman Crow, who I know he's not elite, but he's one of their better pitching prospects. They also traded a guy that they recently drafted in the fourth round. And I think they're going to move more arms. If they make a trade this year, they're going to trade their top prospect in Edgar Caro. But then if you want to get a deal done, you're going to have to attach Kai Bush or Silseth or whoever. You're going to have to tr- attach pitching because they took so many arms and those are all the top guys that they are going to be able to offer. I think for the angels here, you don't overthink it. You go for the best player available or the best arm available here. And I think it's noble Meyer. I'm really floored by the stuff. And, and overall it, the, the team that has taken the top prep arm has been rewarded over the last few years. You could say maybe Job, but I think Job is going to go nuts very yeah. soon. I, we got to talk about Job in the next episode. I've been dig- digging into that data recently. I also, Got to talk to my buddy, Mike Rothenberg, who caught his last outing, and he said it was comical how much the stuff was moving. So I, I, that's a whole sidebar. Noble Meyer, 97-mile-an-hour fastball, 95 to 97. He's 6'5 righty with a plus-plus slider. He, he he looks just like Mick Abel. If you can get Mick Abel at 11 here, I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah. No, I mean, I even think about what's going on last year. Like, top prep arm was Dylan Lesko to San Diego. And like, I think the Padres feel really good about Lesko. Oh yeah. So yeah, I like my looks are incredibly limited for, for these high school guys. But what I will say is that frame, you look on it, you look at it and you just dream of like frontline guy. And, and I think that much to what you're saying, the angels are in the position now where they can move away from, we need Ben Joyce here, like end of this year, <laughs> Like yeah. we're going to grab Sonny Deshera because he's going to be assigned to double a, like, I don't yeah. think we need to do that anymore. Shit. Neto's up now. Like um, I, if they did feel that sense of urgency, uh, Waldrip is still available. Yeah. I don't think they feel that sense of urgency. And I think that you take the guy that you can dream on to have a way higher ceiling than Waldrop in, in Noble Meyer. Well, and I think that there's going to be a bidding war at, to a point in the middle of the, in the middle of the first round. Cause I know you floated Waldrop to the angels and I liked that thought, but then we're going to get to the next pick where I actually have Waldrop going. I think the next team would bid a little bit higher. And if you're bidding towards the full slot value or close to it, I'd rather just go with Meyer who you might still be able to go below the slot value. Cause a lot of, people don't have him going in the top 15 i'd rather go with the higher upside arm waldrip you you got to tweak some things and we'll get into that and i don't know if the angels are the best organization to do that they have not developed pitching that well they have picked guys that climb quickly and do well but they've not developed pitching well noble meyer is is somebody that i think you you add i think the highest upside guy that you can add into the fold here and somebody that can really make this system stronger. The one, the last thing I'll say in the angels is the approach of going with the closest proximity guy 
has kind of left them with somewhat of a weak farm. Yes, it got them Zach Neto. Yes, it got them Reed Detmers. That's great. And that's really good. And I think I'm not saying that they should have strayed from that strategy. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it. But a lot of the other picks, as you mentioned, the second, third, fourth round were guys that were either going to get there quickly or just never get there and not be very good, as we've talked about with Teixeira. And like Ben Joyce may never even really be that good of a reliever. I don't know. They need to kind of go back to the best player available approach here. And that's why I like the Meyer pick. Last, last thing on the Angels. Here's to hoping they don't panic, but Mike Trout fractured left hand eight. Are you serious? Yeah, Trout fractured left hand eight. Fuck. That just came out? Yeah, five minutes ago. How long? I mean, a handmade fracture is probably. It, it takes a while to even feel right after that. He's probably out for the season. Yeah, I'm thinking very, very minimum two months. I Every guy I've talked to that's gotten that, it says it takes a while to feel like yourself again swinging it. Shit, that yeah, sucks. He, he might be done. It, it might be a fast track to, you know, like the postseason, but shit, man. Poor dude, man. Jeez. I'll definitely go best player available. Inject as much talent as you can into that system. They got to make a trade. Yep. Number 12, Hurston Waldrip. There we go. Uh, the Diamondbacks have been said to want an arm here. Uh, they're pursuing an arm. And why not go for Waldrip, who, I mean, that splitter is insane. That's a big league pitch right now. That would get big league hitters out right now. Fastball is is high velocity, bad shape. I was shocked by the lack of, of swinging strikes and the lack of whiff numbers there. But you figure you can tweak the shape, hopefully. The velocity's there. The splitter is gnarly. The breaking balls have flashed, but they're just so inconsistent. He's a guy that really needs to get, you know, I think under the care of a big league team, big league organization, and kind of make some tweaks to his arsenal, some tweaks to the way he he goes about his his delivery. And you could unlock a frontline guy, but there's a lot of volatility to the selection here. That said, I think the Diamondbacks feel okay with taking arguably the best arm available here. Yeah. So Waldrip, I'm with you. Like a lot needs to change here. And I think that, you know, like walking five guys per nine when you are a dominating arm results in a, in a low fours in the SEC, like, when he gets into pro ball and he meets a level, it might be six walks per night, like because he'll start to nibble a little bit more than he yeah. did at Florida. So he needs to find some sort of consistency that allows him to get deeper into starts. This I is the first, this is the first guy that I look at and I say, there's a chance that he's a bullpen arm. And it comes, yeah, the number one thing is fastball quality. It, he's got to find a way to make that fastball better. It, you cannot be having your fastball hit as much as his was when you're throwing mid to upper nineties, it just shouldn't happen. And when you have that splitter as well, that should have hitters kind of thinking about it and having the fastball getting on him quicker, 89% zone contact against your fastball can't fly. Yeah. When, when you got that kind of splitter, he couldn't land the curve for a strike this year it was sub 50% strike rate. And it was really just all about the splitter. And if the splitter wasn't there, he got shellacked. So there's there's a lot to like when you got a 70 grade changeup in that split and that split's kind of taken over baseball so i think a team could fall in love with him here and i think you know the diamondbacks loved bryce jarvis because of the changeup maybe they fall in, fall in love with the changeup guy with the iffy fastball here or it deters them i don't know uh but I, I think waldrop's worth a shot here and you could probably save a few bucks and there's a lot of upside to like here there's some people out there that think waldrop could be a frontline guy and that want him in the top 10 I think if, if the Diamondbacks can snag him at 12 here with their desire for pitching, wouldn't surprise me. For sure. Wouldn't surprise me either. Um, you know, only thing I will say is like this guy immediately screams volatility, though, when Skeen's louder. Dolander does as well, but Dolander's like a starter. If he fails, he's going to fail as a starter. Um, Waldrop, like I can close my eyes and easily see, you know, setup guy working off of that splitter, which yeah. is a little nerve wracking at 12, but with what you have to dream on of him being a frontline starter, it's worth taking it twice. And, and down the stretch, he might've flashed enough in front of a lot of scouts to, to take a shot. I mean, he goes seven innings of 12 Ks, one run ball against Connecticut. He goes eight innings of 13 Ks, scoreless ball, two walks against South Carolina. And then against Oral Roberts, six innings, seven hits, one run, three walks, 12 Ks. So yeah. well, when you're racking up 37 Ks and three, three starts. Yeah. 
there, there could have been some evaluators there that you know, he kind of cast a spell on. And maybe maybe they're they're convincing the the, the draft department, the GM to, to take a shot here. Yep. 13 is a fun one. And this is somebody that has as much helium as anyone. Chicago Cubs could go a bunch of different directions, but I think they go with the highest upside player here. And it's Arjun Namala. Namala is is starting to turn a lot of heads because of his ability to tap into what is starting to look like plus power, despite being 6'1, 180. He's very wiry and already producing exciting exit velocities. He's also one of the youngest guys in this draft. He's 17 years old. He'll be 17 still on draft day. Good feel for the game. Looks good at shortstop. I think that, you know, the Cubs were hoping they had something in Ed Howard. They were hoping that they had something with some of their other middle infield guys. This instantly becomes their highest upside middle infield guy. And Namala, I think, is someone that could even fly higher if, if the helium continues to, you know, mount here. There's a lot to like and a lot to dream on. Yeah, no, I, and I think there's a lot to dream on physically. You mentioned the slight frame, like, you know, tall, skinny guy that's playing shortstop right now. Not even tall at 6'1", but he, but he might grow more. <laughs> He's 17. So if he fills out a little bit more, yeah, while he finishes puberty while in professional baseball, I mean, this guy, like, yeah, there, there's a chance he can turn into a blue, tri- a blue chip, like, true shortstop. And that creates flexibility for the Cubs because he could either, you know, say like Dansby or Nico Horner takes takes a nosedive. Nimala could be, you know, that guy of the future that you look at. He could also take off. They turn into a contender. And I'm just thinking about like down the road, like that creates another great prospect that people can dream on because he's so young, because he'll have X amount of reps in the minor leagues. I think that would be awesome if, if the Cubs landed with this guy. I'm not sure there's a higher upside player outside the top 10. Really? I mean, to see the exit velocities he's putting up right now with that frame, and he's got a pretty good feel for the bat. And I think he's going to grow more. He's 17. It it all checks out to me. Like This is the highest upside guy, I think, outside outside of the top 10. Fascinating. Number 14, as we wrap up part one of this draft episode, and then we will have part two coming up tomorrow. Boston Red Sox, they've been tied to a bunch of different collegiate bats. The guy that falls to them kind of in their lap here, I I think they could go Tommy Troy. But if Jacob Gonzalez falls in their lap here, I think they take Jacob Gonzalez. I know you could say, oh, they have Marcelo Meyer. This is one of those instances where you're just taking the best player available. The Red Sox are continuing to to try to build that farm system. That's been a priority for Bloom, And they want to get good. They want to improve their ability at the big league level they want to improve their team at the big league level you do that by stockpiling controllable young talent you're not going to not take jacob gonzalez if he falls into your lap because you have marcelo meyer and also besides marcelo meyer there's not that much middle infield talent you have nick york he's playing second base you got some other guys that are far off i I think this is just take the best player that falls into your lap with the bloodlines good Mm -hmm. field to hit good defense again if they really like tommy troy i think tommy troy is extremely underrated they could take him, but this is already kind of the floor, I think, for Gonzalez. I, I'd be surprised to see him slip any further. Bloodlines, so much to like. I think this would be – I think Red Sox fans would be thrilled with this. How good of an athlete do you think he is? I think that's the one deficient area. I think that's the one deficient – he's one of those guys that isn't a great athlete but moves well, so he can mm-hmm. play a good shortstop. But I think he, I think he turns in like below average run times. Yeah that that's the only thing like he seems smooth he seems like a good hitter um but i, I question the athletic prowess yeah and I'm, I'm not saying that like he's like we're not saying oh he's you know lazy fat like slow whatever we're, we're just saying like in this era of shortstop play the best are shorts are are like athletic freaks or they're the smoothest dudes on the planet like meyer lawler's yeah. a better athlete than meyer but Meyer is smooth as silk. So yeah. if you're not, you know, that freak athlete talent, you better be smooth as hell. And it sounds like Gonzalez is more smooth than freak athlete. Yeah, and I think you're you're not getting freak at 14. You're getting smooth if you're lucky. And yeah. that's what they're getting here. Tommy Troy is too much Nick York for me. Like, like I know, you know, you take best player available, but like those guys are like they're like almost the Spider-Man meme. Although I will say Tommy Troy way more advanced. Or I actually think Tommy Troy is a better prospect. Than, um, than Nick York at this stage. Hmm. But 
just going with the second baseman that's bat first, all that good stuff. I think Jacob Gonzalez is, is a nice snag here. 90% zone contact above that. Yeah. I would say average exit velocities. That's kind of my concern, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it, that would play at Fenway. It's 21 good glove lefty bat. I, I think this, it, it's one of those, if he falls into your lap, you kind of have to, but again, I could see the Marlins taking him at 10. So yeah. I'd be shocked if he fell to 14 or not shocked, surprised. And in this case, the Red Sox snag the guy that falls into their lap and take the best player available. Uh, and the White Sox, I won't, won't give it away, but I like who they're taking at 15 for the next episode uh, as we do part two of the draft coming up tomorrow. Yep. That'll do it. I'm like depressed about Mike Trout now, so thanks for that. Um, got you. We'll do part two tomorrow. We got an interview coming up with Kobe Mayo of the Baltimore Orioles. Look out for that. Still walking in a day, but – very pumped for that. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, how much we like Kobe Mayo and how talented he is. Already top 100 guy, will be top 50 guy. And, of course, that Mariners thing's coming out eventually, too. Uh, but very excited to hit on part two with y'all. Hope you enjoyed your 4th of July. Hope you enjoyed your day off. And uh, hopefully it's not rainy where you're at like it is here in New York. Jack, have a great call on the 4th of July. And I'm looking forward to breaking down part two with you and our listeners. Uh, tomorrow of this 2023 mock For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.